Hey guys, welcome to episode 37 of the JV Club with the marvelous Allison Rosen. I did her podcast a few months ago and had a lovely time doing it, so I'm so glad that we got a chance to sit down together and amble and ramble about uh, various things. It's the longest episode I think I've ever released, but I just didn't want to cut it down for time. It's so hard. You know, these conversations that we get into, I think, are... um, so interesting and I, I enjoy them so much and, and hopefully you guys will uh, understand that you know it, it's the, when you hear the conversation it's not like opportunities for editing really presented themselves and um, and I loved everything Allison had to say so I hope that you uh, feel the same and if you don't I invite you to just jump all over the place you know what if you don't want to put in the hour and a half all at once uh, by all means uh, skip around and see if you can follow the conversation non chronologically I'd like to see how that turns out for someone um uh what else do i want to do i certainly want to give some shout outs love to shout out from twitter steph c chris p chelsea and victoria uh i have to do some catching up on twitter but wanted to get this intro recorded and sent to katie so i'll catch up on twitter soon on facebook julian s andrew s sean a stephanie g and aida beautiful uh comments and notes thank you so much in the email realm grant c uh, veronica c tammy c I just said Grant C. I meant Grant H, guys. Veronica C., Tammy C., Kaylee, Anna S., everyone on the Nerdist Kathleen Rose page who have weighed in so far, including people like Sam and Toria and some of my usuals on the Nerdist comments. Thank you guys so much. Always so great to hear from you. And um, I'm having a friend of mine uh, maybe look through some of the iTunes feedback to shout out some of the iTunes stuff. Can I be totally honest with you? Even though I know it's the most important, I keep forgetting about iTunes feedback, and I'm sure you guys all realize that because I haven't shouted out at iTunes feedbacker in so long it's comical um i gotta try to get back into that but uh yeah i hope you guys enjoyed this episode i'm delighted to say as i did uh, in a tweet recently that i'm uh, doing some more episodes of burning love we got picked up for more episodes and um i can't wait for you guys to see it uh there are people far more talented famous and wonderful than i um in the seasons to come and um i'm also recording cora which i may or may not have told you so good stuff good stuff happening and i hope again i hope you all enjoy this episode and that you will uh send in weigh in with your feedback and thoughts and feelings recipes discounts guarantees instruction manuals and um mission statements okay guys i'll talk to you soon bye now entering nerdist.com I am delighted to have a guest sitting on my floor. You know, quite frequently my guests, I sit on the floor always, as you guys know. Um, I can't stop myself for some reason. I'm compelled. I will say most of the time, if not 100% of the time, my guests have elected to sit on the couch. Allison decided she wanted to sit on the floor with me. Hi. Well, see, I started on the couch because I, unlike you, I'm not really a person who sits on the floor, but I was on the couch and then I saw you on the floor and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Slumber place You made style. the floor inviting. Mm-hmm. How does it feel? At it's, any it feels time, good. At any time. And I mean any time. Oh, I will. I will. I know. You know you can get back. Yeah, there. I know. You could go sit on that chair if you wanted to. 
Um, you what could sit anywhere you want. Ass. There's so many places that I can. There's plant a it. lot of places you could go. So wait, who else has opted to sit on the floor? I can't think of anyone. I got to be honest with you. you know why? Because they're stuck up. I think. Well, maybe that's what we're getting at Pretty here. Much, yeah. I think. I think. Um, you know, one of my girlfriends will probably listen to this. Who's done the podcast and go? Oh, I sat on the floor, but I don't think anyone that I can think of except for. I think Jessica St. Clair, but it was not here. It was in an office in NBC, and she agreed with me that like the office we were in was so crisp and impersonal mm. that she needed to get down on the floor right. to like get real with me. That, I think, might be the only other time. Hmm. This it's is a big a day. Slash second. This is a first. This is a, this is a good one, and it's a good one because I, I had such a fun time doing your podcast, and, I, and we've been wanting to do this ever since, and... Um, everybody knows that I like to talk about how time gets away from me and it has, and, um, I didn't have to work, uh, today on another shoot. And so I snagged Allison, mm-hmm. snagged her. That's right. And, and you even moved around the time and that was a okay with me. I know. Thanks for letting me move around the time. Cause I had to go to the show. This, I still had to work, I guess, in the sense that I just how did went that and saw go? a bunch of Did we talk about, did we talk Oops. about everything? I guess, we, I guess yeah, before we, the show would have been the time for me to ask if there's anything we don't talk right. about. It's all right. It's all right. I'll tell you about the grocery store trip I did uh, right after the showcase and before Please. you came here, yeah. if needs be. Um, but yeah, I, we had uh, scheduled a certain time, and uh, and then I had to write Allison and say I forgot that we had said that we that my partner Cole Stratton and I, who live down here, would see some sketch groups audition for our festival in the middle of the day. And I have to say... We saw like 10 sketch groups at noon on a Saturday, and that is usually not a recipe for comedy. Right. And I have to say, they really pulled it out. There were a bunch of, they brought a bunch of their friends, so it wasn't just Cole and I sitting there flash dance judge style, <laughs> which was my concern. Like, oh my God, it's going to be two people sitting in an empty theater while mm-hmm. all these groups try to be fabulous. But they, um, everybody brought their friends out to support, and it was a really fun, great showcase. Good. Everybody did a really great job. Well, actually, funny and time stuff brings me to a question that i have and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take over your podcast no, and interview so you funny. i, I just do the same have thing. to do it it's a so little easy bit when you host a podcast you can you can co-host this thing all the way through with me oh, fabulous um okay you you did your podcast live at the la podcast festival yes yeah 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 what did, did you yes i did yeah, yeah. i did mine on friday night yeah and what, what day were you i was saturday at three okay i was friday no yeah friday at 11 um how did you feel like the whole experience was i enjoyed it i mean i i here's the thing i can't say that i had a whole experience really because i pretty much just showed up right before i had to Mm -hmm. go on and then i left immediately afterwards um i did think it was a joy it was definitely have you done your podcast live before i have okay so i had never done it live before and so that was the biggest adjustment for me was realizing that I'm so used to this at least and you have a beautiful studio where you record and you have somebody who produces it for you know was producing it Mm -hmm. on site in the moment what's his name Gary Gary yes 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 he was awesome um I feel terrible that I forgot his name for a second I was gonna say Greg which is horrible so I'm glad I asked instead of saying that but um I'm so used to doing this like it's just you and me it's just girls Mm -hmm. like there's no there's nothing and so when I got there, I hadn't, and I've been so busy, I hadn't really thought through what it was going to be like to have an audience. And for sure, and I say this in the beginning of the podcast, uh, I was like, this feels so weird. Yeah. This is a trip. That's been like the biggest thing that I've been, been adjusting to and trying to figure out is how do I translate my in the studio podcast to a live show or do I just change it? Because I've done... I've done. Um, I've yeah, I know you now. did it live with Garfunkel and Oates at the UCB yeah, one that night. Was the yeah, first I really one. wanted to go to that, and I wasn't here. 
Um, well, you can download it. <laughs> I will yes, download do it. Um, but uh, there was probably the, the one that I did with Pete Holmes. That I think was probably the closest to what it's like in the studio because it was just one guest and we delved into stuff. But the other ones, it's been this like multiple guests kind of thing that it's fun and it's really funny, but it feels like it's not exactly what my podcast really is. And I would imagine for you as well, since you have a podcast that's really kind of contemplative and delving into stuff in front of a live audience, it's like there's that temptation to just be like, or I could juggle. Yes, yes, very much so. And I got really lucky because... Um, Priscilla was such an amazing musical guest and she was and her music is so intimate that it really sort of helped like create that Mm -hmm. intimacy uh, at the beginning and um, and then Lizzie was so great because she was she's super honest and uh, and wasn't like, you know, afraid to talk about anything, but at the same time, she's incredibly spontaneously funny. So it didn't feel like it was too one thing or another. But I definitely had the feeling while it was happening, like, I'm really lucky that this has worked out how it is because I probably should have put more thought into what <laughs> this experience was going to be for the audience member and for, like, people mm-hmm. listening to it after the fact. Then again, though, it, it was a whole bunch of podcast fans at that festival. And I feel like what they really want, and this is why sometimes I feel like maybe I'm overthinking it. I feel like what they really want is to see the podcast they listen to live, Good which point. is what they got, you know? Were you, which room were you in? Were you in a big um, room or a little room? I was in... I think I was in a bigger room. It definitely wasn't like packed to the gills, um, but it was a good sized crowd. It was the, I think it was the bigger room. It's like the room where they did the, the best of the fest and the mm-hmm. like maybe, but it couldn't have been as big as what they would use for like Doug Loves movies or something. No, Doug Loves movies was at a nearby high school actually. Okay. Oh no. Was it or stamp some stand up thing was, uh, you yeah, know, I think his was at a high school nearby. I did mine in the ballroom though, which was like gigantic. Not mine wasn't my, that big. Yeah. That was that must a, have been an in between room. That was a, oh, like a weird auditorium sort of. Wow, this is a giant space feeling. But but the lights were low actually, so I couldn't really see the audience. So um, I don't know. It had this weird dreamlike quality. Like I'm very affected by lights and things like that. Me too. Big time. Me yeah. Too. So the whole thing feels very dreamlike. I think because I really couldn't see much of anything, and there were these lights kind of shining at me so it, it and that i think also contributes to feeling like um instead of relating i'm going to perform it's a play yeah yeah this is a play about your podcast <laughs> like you're playing the character of allison rosen on stage exactly yes yes That's so interesting the and, other, oh no go ahead oh no no, no go ahead well I, I the other thing i wanted to to say to you is that i was just listening to your most recent episode with stephanie Escajeda. yes and you were talking about um when when there's a bunch of coincidences in your life or when you experience a coincidence to you, that's like a sign that you're in things are on track. You're in the right place. Yeah. And that's so interesting to me because my boyfriend, Daniel, who went to your high school, uh, has the same, he regards coincidences the same way. Whereas I just always think, Oh, what a weird thing to him. And I remember a long time ago, he said this to me and I was like, I've never looked at it that way, but I like that to him. It indicates that you are doing things like you're on the right path and I'm just wondering, you guys went to the same high school. Your father was a beloved teacher of his. Is there something in that outlook from, like, do, does everyone who went to Rincon feel this way? <laughs> or is this a Mr. <laughs> Varney so thing? so amazing if it were my dad thing. Well, what's funny, it's funny you would say that because um, the couple, I, the, I have so many things that I was like, my synapses were firing so fast when you were talking. My first reaction was, 
I struggle with saying that because, and I, I might, I, I think I said this to Stephanie too. It's not necessarily that I feel like I, I definitely don't feel like I'm part of some plan with a capital P, and I don't like this idea of like. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I totally and 100% support anybody who believes this. And I do a lot of segments kind of exploring religion on HuffPost Live because it's just something I'm really interested Mm in. Um, I don't, I don't believe that there's a God. I don't believe that there's a guy in in the conventional sense and certainly not in the Mormon sense, which is what I was kind of quote unquote raised in, if anything, where there's like a guy with his plan. And I'm sure there are more. I know I have Mormon listeners who I love who are going to say, Janet, that's not what Mormons believe either. But I, I definitely don't believe like this is all according to plan. Like you weren't supposed to go here because this was going to happen. I don't think of life that way. Right, like, not you know, but at the same time, I do feel like, again, just to reiterate what I said with Stephanie. So, so it makes me uncomfortable. You get, like when I think I'm in the, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. That automatically makes it seem like I think that there's an end game that I'm fought like a board game that mm-hmm. I'm like following. But I, but, but that's fair for you to say because I feel like I said it. Well, but, I think but, I understand but it's that, how you it's mean it. It's a sense of like I'm of just a- trying to be a present in the moment and to feel like. Um, I'm making good choices, not to, not to say that there's like, you know, a whole plan of what, you know, what those choices mean or lead to, but that just sense of being like, I'm in my life in a way that feels comfortable to me. And it feels like I'm being rewarded by that. Even if it just is that I'm paying attention differently. See, I think that's how Daniel regards it too. That's the thing. Here's the thing. (laughs) So, so that takes us to point B, which is the answer to your question, which is my dad was like a Staunch cynical atheist, my whole upbringing, and only when my grandmother died, when his mom died, did he start to have a sense of like being less sure or a sense of wonder about life and death in that way. He's very romantic with a capital R, like he's mm-hmm. very much into. I mean, he couldn't be more obsessed by Shakespeare, or you know, he loves storytelling and he loves literature and he loves love and he's a total crier you know my dad (laughs) cries as much as i do um i totally grew up in the household of like my dad and me crying all the time and then i would go to my mom's house and my mom has like nerves of steel and i think i've seen her cry once in my life um so i had the kind of like the if you want to get sexist like i had the role gender role reversal but um so yeah so he never would say he would never say you know everything happens for a reason or uh you know that's not a coincidence that's a that's a piece of magic right there mm-hmm. or like that's that that's atoms colliding in the right way and and the energy between people on on a scientific level he was just like listen he totally existentialist like listen we're here we live we die unspeakably cruel things happen to people who don't deserve it i don't want to believe in a god who would let that happen if there were a god i would hate him so it's better for everyone that i don't believe that there <laughs> is one like he's just like died in the wool mm-hmm. now the the something i mean i don't think he would mind if i said this but um, when my grandmother died, and by the way, good job, because now I am talking more than ever before on the podcast. <laughs> good. I'll quickly say this. When my grandmother died, he had the, the, a very profound experience with her where she had had a stroke and wasn't able to speak. And we were just kind of checking in with, you know, just staying at the hospital, like trying to wait to see what was going to happen. And she just was so frustrated, um, you know, when elderly stroke victims just... You could see the frustration in her eyes, just trying to articulate and not being able to. And um, the day that she died, my dad was 
kind of talking to her and I guess he got, and dad, I'm sorry if I'm mistelling the story. So it was uh, years and years ago, but as I remember it, she, I wasn't in the room, but she was struggling to breathe and struggling to speak. And my dad just got this feeling that maybe, you know, she was done. And he said, do you want to be with Tony? And that's my grandfather who died, you know, a decade before that. And he said that she looked at him and like clear as a bell said, oh, yes. And she died. I just got chills. So I think that, I don't know. I think that really, I don't know. After that, I, I st- I'm sure he'll listen to this and go, Janet, you're full of shit. I still don't, you know, I, I don't believe in anything. But he also told me about uh, an experience that he had afterwards where he just felt like, you know, so he was thinking about my grandma and then he had been thinking about her and thinking about traveling and um, what would, you know, what would she want him to do or what, what was important to her. And, um, and he, he had this memory of her saying how much she loved visiting Alaska. Like she went on a cruise to Alaska and it was such an amazing experience. And he was thinking about that and he like got out of the shower and turned on the radio to listen to Prairie Home Companion. And the first thing that he heard was Garrison Keillor's voice saying, well, this is a rec- you know, we're doing something very unusual. We're coming to you live from Alaska. Da, da, da. <laughs> like for the first time ever. I've never been here before. And my dad was like, okay, like what's that? Yeah. You know, but I don't really, I remember that so clearly because I don't, I never felt that from my dad, that sense of like, huh, maybe dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. What about your, what about your, uh, like childhood? Like what kind of spirituality none. was there? Other? Yeah. None. I mean, I was, uh, my parents are atheists, although I, I was actually just thinking about this the other day. I don't know that I've heard my mom say she's an atheist mm. and, but I, I think she is, but she hasn't been as vocal. I mean, my dad is like, there's not really any question to him that it's just, this is very similar to your dad, actually. And my dad cries more than my mom, too. Interesting. Yeah. Um, did you have the same reaction that I did growing up, which is that basically when I would see either of them cry, I would just start crying? <sighs> Probably. Oh, that's probably true. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was probably already crying anytime yeah. my dad started <laughs> crying. But um, tell me, remind me where you're from again. I'm from, uh, I was born in Northern California, but I grew up in Orange County. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Did we talk about this where people, that sometimes people are like, you seem like you're from the East Coast. I don't think we talked about it, but I have always gotten, well, my maybe dad, I've my heard dad, you say that on other maybe. podcasts or something. Cause my dad is from Brooklyn. Um, my mom's from Northern California. I grew up in Orange County, but I lived in New York for about 10 years and I just came back a couple years ago. So I did go there. And I knew you were there. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't remember if you were there and had family over there or not. Um, no, I had a grandmother who was there, but she passed away. But, um, yeah, well, I don't know if it's some sensibility about me or just that I have dark hair and I'm clearly not very beachy. I don't know what it is. Good for you. But it's weird. I went there thinking, because I grew growing up, I always felt like a misfit. Like I grew up in a very... Um, Where just, in Northern California? Well, I, I was born in oh, Oakland, but, but I say yeah. that I say that just for some kind of bizarre cred. I, I'm probably I not. Get it. I would live there for seven months, okay. but it really informed everything I do. Got it. <laughs> you know, 
Um, I still I forever will refer to you as having been from Oakland thank you because I love Um, I also live in California (laughs) same same please I call myself as being from San Francisco when I lived up there when I was raised born and raised in Arizona for 17 years so I totally get it there's just something about saying I'm from Orange County California that I don't I just I don't want it yeah but so anyway um, I grew up in a very uh, homogenous athletic conservative religious um superficial town i think so i never felt like i fit in like at all and so i think i always had this idea that oh new york everyone like that those are my people or something and i'll go there and i'll really fit in and then the crazy thing is that i went there um and i mean i did live there for a long time and i really liked it and i and i miss it actually i really miss brooklyn but um i think i realized maybe i am more of a west coast person than i thought there's just something, and I've said this. I have said before, um, but I think about it a lot. There's something so I think sober about East Coast people, even though they drink a lot. There's just <laughs> it's a much more serious kind of um, sensibility. And I don't know. I remember talking to my uh, my landlady in Brooklyn, and she was saying that that 9-11 really changed everyone. It definitely changed her family. And so I don't know if it was different, but I suspect it wasn't that different in terms of like how just serious everyone is. Well, people talk about, and I guess that was my experience. I mean, I've worked there and I've spent a fair amount of time there as I do feel like it's a hustle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you get up in the morning and you're probably not going to go back to your apartment until the end of the day, however long that day is for you. And it's just And you work really long hours. Yeah. And that's, I think it's expected. And I don't know. I just like, I really like silliness and absurdity and, and just frivolity and all those Goofy, things. Relaxed, yes. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And I, too. I wouldn't have realized, I, I didn't realize that, but I think that might be more of a West coast thing. Maybe. Cause I, everyone there is smart enough to be really funny. But, I mean, but yeah. I mean, I feel like, and I do feel like I have so many friends from New York who are incredibly hilarious, but I do agree. Like even I feel like the music and the comedy that I love out of New York have a real edge to them. Mm -hmm. There is that sort of, even the goofy stuff has the sort of edge to it. And it feels like it's been informed by that intensity of New York city. Yeah. You know, like, by the way, really good idea to drink a soda where I'm going to be burping the whole uh, podcast. But um, really, uh, but but re- but like, you know, I, I'm trying to think of a New York band that doesn't have the sort of dark undertone right. or, or like a comedian that I love from New York who's just like straight up silly opposed to like there's something kind of dark and intense Maybe underneath like it. Martin. Yeah, that's a good example. But is he from New York? I don't think he's from new york city i don't know and yeah, i don't know I why i just i just came up with an example to disprove your please point. i'd like no <laughs> Adam, Adam, that's <laughs> like a fireable offense with adam me, carolla and me and me also uh, originally supporting your point and then now you're no but i like the devil's advocate stuff but i agree with you but and, and also like i don't even know it's fun to sort of create little classes of things when you're sitting on a podcast like mm. pontificating about stuff but i totally agree with you in terms of like east coast versus west coast i love being on the east coast i'm always ready to come home and i feel like i just that i belong here mm-hmm. not necessarily it doesn't have to be in la but anywhere from vancouver to like here 
Right. Anywhere along the way, I'm pretty good. The other thing I wanted to mention, on the Stephanie episode, you were talking about celebrity interviews and profiles and things and how it it always starts with a description of a celebrity coming in. Um, and I used to to write uh, – I used to do that kind of journalism. Well, I did all oh, nice. journalism, but I wrote a lot of those profiles and things. Um, and another – I tried to avoid these, but uh, what I was thinking when you guys were talking was – Oftentimes, the star is uh, described as firing up a Marlboro (laughs) or spearing something with their fork. Um, And then I was thinking that, well, the reason for that, though, is because you're given such a short amount of time with the celebrity that you all of a sudden, like their choice of bagel or whatever, you use that to interpret everything about them. And then I realized that isn't even my original thought. There's an article that you should read because it's so good. It's by Tad Friend who's a New Yorker writer, but it appeared in Spin magazine, and it's called Notes on the Death of the Celebrity Interview, and it's just all about... Holy shit, that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, It's all about this. It's all about the, like, all the uh, sort of machinations that go into the celebrity interview and why that results in this kind of thing. And, you know, it's about how... Uh, like one of the things I was just I skimmed it before I came here. I was trying to find a link, but I could only find like a Google Doc link, and it's. Uh, it, it, but if you Google, it, you'll you'll be able to find it. Um, they were talking about how uh, publicists will will or I, I don't know if it's publicists or whoever chooses this, but like they'll send in a writer of the opposite sex, hoping that that'll create something. Or, but and um, you know, like back in the day, if you were going to do a cover story on someone, you'd get a, multiple days to spend with them, and all of a sudden now it's like you know, you can have 30 to 45 minutes with someone, which is not enough, but you have to turn it into enough. Yeah. And so then that just results in all these crazy interpretations of their behavior. That's such a good point. I can't wait to read that. And it is. And and I think I I I teased this too. Is like, ultimately, I think the ones that I respond to now, if you're reading them in print, opposed to listening to a podcast, Mm -hmm. are the ones that just like, go for weird questions and just that's it it's just like the first question the first right. it, there's nothing except the first question and the first question is about whatever yeah and it the, either the grabs you and you continue yeah and you just continue reading it like that or you don't you're not interested and you move on right I don't, so do you do you read magazines very often anymore i have a giant stack of magazines sitting right over there that i have not haven't gotten to and um and they're all lifestyle magazines they're Mm -hmm. all like sunset magazine they're all like recipes and 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 places to visit and you know real simple and that kind of stuff because that's because i find them very visually stimulating and i do like i i but i find them very stimulating but i also find them very calming yeah but i don't read like i've never i mean i'm not even the person i won't even read like an us magazine in a trailer on a set or something Mm -hmm. like that i just can't I don't know why it makes me so uncomfortable, like reading, flipping through celebrity pictures and stuff. Huh. Is it, do you start to uh, compare yourself? Is it like that or? I don't think it's that. Do you read magazines like that? Um, I'll flip through them if I'm bored and they're in front of me. Um, I don't regularly read them. I I just feel like they remind me of work and, 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 and being down here for long enough where I have friends who get followed by paparazzi and stuff, that shit sucks. Like there's no, and the whole argument about you deserve what you get if you're famous and everything's great for you, except that you have people following you around all the time. 
I, I don't know. I get, I totally understand how someone can think that from the outside. Completely yes. understand. There's no part of me that's like, how dare you person not living in LA thinking that this is stupid. I totally understand. But having seen it firsthand, it sucks. I actually, you don't, who would want that? Who would want someone I, just right. the camera? Like that's horrible. I was just thinking about that, about something similar the other day because, um, you know, when people say something, kind of negative about someone in the public eye but they tag the person in that so on twitter sorry i didn't say that yeah um so that that person will for sure see it in the mentions yeah yeah you'll get it in your right so someone tweeted something like um that she she was listening to the episode of my podcast allison rosen is your new best friend with mark maron and it was like allison rosen is driving me crazy she needs to stop talking and just interview him but she tagged me in it so i and i try not to ever respond and and that's like a mild kind of a mild one compared to or rather that tweet itself wasn't mild but but she turned out to be like not an asshole like there's certain ones where you can just tell the person is if you if you say anything they're just it's just going to get worse you know the trolls who love the attention the negative attention of like oh i'm yeah so i try not to engage but i did say something like um you know sorry my talking is driving you crazy but why tag me in this to make sure that i would see it um, and then that kind of started a back and forth and she apologized. Um, but then it was like, but I, you know, if I say, I say good things too, would you not want me to tag you in those? And I didn't write back cause I was trying to figure out what my response was and I didn't want to get fully sucked into it. But then later it was like this, she's like, I can't believe you didn't respond. Um, after I apologized to your attack tweet, blah, 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 blah. And Ultimately, it was like we worked it out. But I looked at her timeline, and she had tweeted some things about um, just tweeted with a semi celebrity. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> semi. Thank you. <laughs> oh, so she's saying she in the in between she's talking about the conversation she's having. Yeah, with you. she like, just tweeted with a semi celebrity. Um, like I wish I could remember exactly what she said, but it was like I don't understand people in the public eye who don't want to hear something about like a. I, I can't do it the verbatim. So the gist was if you're in the public eye and you're on and you make yourself available on Twitter, you should be open to the negative and the positive. Isn't that why you're there for the negative and the positive? It, like it comes with the territory. And then she was writing to someone like she's on, you know, a, a really popular podcast. She's on TV. She's da, da, da. And the other person's like, yeah, pe- you know, people need to get a thicker skin. And like, of course, ideally we'd all be walking around like calluses on feet yeah but like i'm more sort of like a, a just an open nerve me too <laughs> an open wound and so many artistic people are that's yes like the, the trickiest thing is that the the reason that you get drawn into doing something like this is probably the reason it hurts so much when right. someone says something mean right? right so i was remembering though i'm sure that i went through a phase many years ago where i felt like yeah it comes with the territory and that's that's the the bargain you make for being the, but actually not that's the bargain. Cause that makes it sound like you're accepting that it's negative. Almost like, like if you want to be famous, you should realize that you're going to get all this negative stuff or, or something. And, and now I just feel like, but just because you're in the public eye doesn't mean you're not a human being just like everyone else on Twitter whose feelings would be hurt if something negative was said about them. And it's not like there's sort of an event horizon where, oh, once I crossed, you know, 40,000 followers, nothing nothing hurt my feelings anymore. You know, it's like, it's, 
there's no point at which you're like, I am, and even if there were, I would not be that at all. But there's, I don't think there's any point at which you're like, I am super famous. I'm a household name and nothing hurts me anymore. Like that, it's, it's all a spectrum. It's all, it's all relative and that never happens. So people, why are you being such assholes? I know. Well, that's, I mean, that takes me, that begs the question. It takes us back to, um, what you were talking about with your dad and the sensitivity and stuff. I mean, were you here? You were this kind of kid in this world that you didn't feel like made sense to you Mm -hmm. in terms of like, why isn't anybody else like me? Um, were you sensitive in that way? I mean, like my parents used to call me Sarah Bernhardt because (laughs) I guess everything was like the end of the world. And I was so highly sensitive. And now looking back, I'm like, Oh, that was the beginnings of a mental illness, but that's a whole (laughs) other story, uh, which I know that you, you and I've talked about a little Mm -hmm. bit before, but, um, yeah, I was were you, really, you know? I was really sensitive. I was really sensitive. I really wanted, I was a people pleaser. I was the kind of kid who, um, got along better, better with adults than other kids. I was very timid. Brothers and sisters. Um, yeah, I have a younger sister and I have two older half brothers. It's interesting. Cause I feel like a lot, that's a very only child thing to feel more comfortable with an adult, which is, yeah. which is me. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think maybe my older brother's are 11 they're twins they're from my dad's first marriage and they're 11 years older Mm. and they um lived with us when i was a baby and then they moved and lived with their mom and they would go back and forth and i think i was really raised for the first three years of my life you know until my sister was born like an only child I was my mom's first child, so I don't know. Yeah, the relationship with your brothers almost sounds like they could be cousins in a mm-hmm. sense in terms of like how often you see them and that kind yeah, of Yeah, but I do think that it was um, confusing to me that they would be there and then be gone and then be back and, you know, the back and forth. So... Um, my dog is this is maybe the one thing about sitting on the floor although my dog's not really my uh scott just came up to allison and just kind of put his face in her face but he's not really a face in face dog he doesn't like to he's not like a face licker or anything like that this is the most i've ever oh really honestly this is the most i've ever seen him be in someone's face I'm well, I did. Shock. I did wipe my face with kibble before I came That's over. Kind of, yeah. That's a new be kibble it. mask. There's a lot of things happening right now that are firsts. Uh, you on the floor and my dog in your face. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, interested. Yeah. He knows that you're. He's feeling your sensitivity. Aww. He's feeling your sensitivity. He's um, not on Twitter, is he? He's not. You're safe. <laughs> oh, how he's cute! Definitely he's not doing like an something. arabesque, except I don't know what that is. Why are you now? I you're think. in my face. Who is this dog? He's stretching out. Oh, he's and now he's got the bone. Okay, now it's just going to be commentary of Allison and Jan describing what the dog's doing. Which, by the way, he's now doing downward dog, which is what yoga (laughs) is is named after. Um, Um, So, so yes, I was, I was like, I was very sensitive, and I actually went through a phase. Um, maybe phase is too limited. I mean, on and off when I, I look back and I'm like, I was a pretty unhappy child for stretches of it. I was depressed. And my dad would tell me <laughs> that it was, what would he say? Oh, I wish I could remember the exact phrase. It was like the existential depression of being an intellectual. That's what he would tell me. That it like was. it's a little bit of a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I get um, it. That's what kind of or that it's too. my Russian roots, which is, that's why I, every, you know, and I think... Well, sure, perhaps some of that, but I also think there was a lot, there was a fair amount of turmoil going on at home with the family. And I think that that's the stuff that was getting to me. I don't think it was, you know, my 
oversized brain and Russian heritage. <laughs> it was making How dare me you sad. Say it's not your Russian heritage. <laughs> what um do you mind if I ask what the turmoil was? Oh yeah, that's fine. Um let's see. I mean around that time what was going on? My a few things. Um my dad is 16 years older than my mom and his midlife crisis was like a 3-year ordeal or if not longer than that. And he and my mom, and they're still married, but they fought so much. And I think I just felt very unsafe during that time Mm. because there was so much yelling like all the time. And they're kind of, in general, I don't do well around anger and yelling. Even as an adult, I I instantly, like I remember. I tense up like I'm about to be hit and I wasn't beaten as a child, but you would think I was. Yeah, okay. That's exactly how I am too. In fact, just the other, not the other day, but somewhat recently I said to my mom, I'm like, just, is there any like abuse that happened to me when I was a kid that I don't know about? Cause that is what everyone wants, would want to think explains a lot of my behavior, but there isn't. It, I, there's not going to be a recovered memory or something, you right. know? Now, and this yet, is where your Russian roots come in. Right, I don't know. Right. No, but I do behave like someone who was abused. It's weird. So, in fact, in New York, the therapist I went to um, did like energy work. Although with me, it was just talk therapy. But it was always like, do you want to bring out your anger? Do you want to bang out something with a tennis racket? And I'd be like, hell no. Um, because my waspy roots, of which I have none, but I identify that way. Like, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with all well, of you that lived in yelling. Orange County, so yes, that's yelling and banging. And I would like to just sit here and discuss stuff. Yeah. Um, but sometimes the people who were, you know, having sessions before me, I could hear yelling in the room but there'd be like a white noisemaker outside to drown it out but it did not work at all so I'd hear like yelling and banging and I would just sit there and I'm like this is a quote-unquote safe space like this is a therapy appointment for someone but I am freaky I'm almost wetting myself like I would be so so uncomfortable listening to the yelling it's weird so anyway um yeah so like to this day I'm not good around yelling my sister's not either she and I are both in relationships that and by the way, that's like a triumph for the Rosen girls because we were not the most popular with boys. But the fact that we're both in relationships that are very calm and there's not a lot of bickering or yelling or disagreement. Um, and I think it's a reaction to growing up with parents who – and by the way, I just have to say even though I, when I hear people make these disclaimers, I think that's not necessary. Like I know that my childhood was not – uh, you know, horrible and my life was not horrible. And I realized that there's people who grew up with things that are a lot worse. So I don't, I don't mean to suggest that this is like the worst thing ever, but for me, it, you know, it just sort well, of, here's, here's the I thing am. about this podcast too, is that what I love about this podcast is that we've run the gamut from people who've had very specific things happen to them, like Stephanie, as you heard, and also people who have had a really great upbringing and have no complaints about it and and just sort of are able to kind of like make fun of the goofy things about their childhoods and and move on and i feel like there is no right or wrong way to feel about how you grew up and and what i love about this is that you can acknowledge that you may not have things that you can point to that are like oh or you know you can acknowledge it you know that people have had it worse but not everyone listening to this podcast has had it bad and yet they feel unhappy for some right. reason yes. so i love when someone says look i didn't have i don't have like a series of events i can roll out to you to sh- explain why i was kind of miserable mm-hmm. as a kid but i was yeah and if there's somebody listening to this who goes oh me too oh i'm not crazy for you know because i 
you give yourself such a hard time i think too if you're a sensitive person you give yourself a really hard time so much why I wasn't should, i happier I should, some yeah. i should you know i feel so horrible for people who had it worse i'm a dick for you mm-hmm. know pretending like my life was hard or whatever that is and everybody experientially is having reactions to you know their own genetic makeup russian roots uh <laughs> To you know whatever's going on in their brain chemically to their environment to you being in a in a yeah. in an area that you you know you've acknowledged like uh, right. it's really hard to be in a community of people that you don't really connect to yeah. I think that's so hard yeah yeah so it was that it was a lot of just yelling and just things never being calm at home um, and so my mom's parents died within a few weeks of each other and, and this is all when you're like still a kid or when i was like in teen? first grade when yeah. that happened oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so she mourned them for i don't know like six or seven months and then like the midlife crisis stuff with my dad started hitting and so it, that was sort of um there's a, a period of years where everyone was kind of unhappy and, and, and angry and sad. And I think that at that age and for my sister as well, just for my mom losing her parents, like that really rocked her, of course. And I think that we just so like, that's sort of both my sister and I just grew up. Like I just soak up the moods of the people that I'm around way too much. Even now in my relationship, like I just with Daniel, like things will happen and I'll say something and then he'll have a reaction on his face. I can see his reaction and then I'll be upset because I don't see why he's upset. Cause I feel like what I said, he shouldn't be upset about. And then I'll think, or maybe I shouldn't be reacting cause he didn't say, maybe I shouldn't be reacting to the expression on his face. Like that's not quite fair of me um so i i don't know yeah so it's just so multi-layered it's so multi-layered to just be the person who's like oblivious to stuff what would that be like so different yeah so no it'd be so different but i feel like i just want to find like what's the healthy amount of that the healthy amount of being able to say I'm sitting in this living room with someone else and I don't need them to be wearing a certain expression or relating to me in a certain way in order for me to feel okay. Because ultimately I don't think it's fair to feel like they have to be relating to you or reacting a certain way. Like that, then you become a little tyrant um, or a big tyrant. So (laughs) I don't know. Like that's been a big thing that I've just been been working on lately is trying to tell myself, um, you know, it's, it's okay. Like you're okay. Everything's okay. So I totally get that. And, um, and when you said, when you said that you and your sister weren't necessarily popular (laughs) with boys when you were like a teenager and stuff, I mean, those are, I'm always curious how, like, you know, having those relationships, whatever they look like when you're young, or not having them, like how that shapes the way that you come into relationships as an adult and, and how much experience in that is important, how much of it is like, you know, it might be better to be somebody who isn't, who doesn't have those kind of like crazy tempestuous, like teenage romances, because how real is that? Like, Mm -hmm. is that really perfect? You know, there's actually a study that came out. Um, and I know this because I just did it as a news story on the Adam Kroll show, which is, is my other job. Um, but 
there's a study that came out that says that people who lose their virginity after the age of 20 um, do better in later life because it's like if you and if you have an intimate relationship after you've already emotionally matured you're going to end up in a better place than if you are sort of just learning the scripts for intimate relationships as a teenager and then doing it but i so that's interesting but i wonder like for me sorry I'm, I'm all over the place no 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 this is rephrase. good because i was just thinking that i want to have you on HuffPost live to talk about the oh. story that you did on corolla and like get and get some experts in and have a conversation about okay. it because that's a fascinating conversation to have i was a late bloomer and i went through a period of just was figuring you out you were a late bloomer or was it as much your environment dictating when you were going to bloom too that's a good question. I don't actually know the answer. I think, well, I think, I mean, when I was in college, I was surrounded by people. I was like in my, in my own uh, sort of environment at that point, And I was still a late bloomer. Um, I was overweight growing up and, and into my twenties. So I think that that now, then you can look at that and you can say, well, that is, I don't believe that that is a choice I made, but there are people who would say that. I mean, but like psychologically, obviously if I really like, if all I wanted to do was to socially mature, I think that I, I could have lost well, but I was always, I mean, I was losing weight and then gaining it and losing it again. I mean, that was kind of my whole, I was like, that was, that was uh, my first diet was when I was in sixth grade mm. and I lost like 20 pounds. And Do you then, remember, so who told you, like, was that a decision you remember making executively on your own? Or was that? Yeah. Something you I mean, I had been, I was an overweight baby. I was in like the high percentile of fat babies or whatever. Um, and which is why I feel like there's so much, um, there's so many people who are like, if you want to lose, like, it's not that hard to lose weight. Just stop drinking sugary soda. And they, they, they speak in that voice, obviously. Um, (laughs) You know, just move. That's the impatient. Right. uh, Just just move around. Yeah. And just eat less. Right. And yes, there are some people where if they do that, they will lose weight. But there's also some people where their bodies just are very efficient. Metabolism is a real yes. thing. In and the same not everyone way has the same metabolism. That everyone knows someone who's super skinny but can eat whatever they want. Sure. There are people who are super heavy and it's really, really hard for them to lose weight. Sure. And to that I say, as a baby, was did I have unhealthy eating habits? Like I was I was a great point. A fat baby. My body just is I just have the kind of body that like wants to be heavier. So it's, it's been a struggle. Um, so I, yeah, I was overweight. I think probably, I don't know that it was, I mean, I was just, you just think, Oh, it's a cute chubby baby. Um, so I don't know that it was noticeable like three and four, but then probably five, six, seven around that time. I, you, you know, I was like the fat kid. And that, exa- I mean, that, that's where we really get into, and we've never talked about this on the, on, in 34 episodes. We've never talked about this in, in this way kid. before. And I'm yeah. very, very glad that we are, uh, very glad. Um, uh, because then you do get into that sort of cyclical, like, your body is one your body is the way that it is your body's chemistry is the way that it is its metabolism is the way that it is and then you have societally 
right all the messages that you're getting about being the chubby kid which when you're a kid guess what you kind of have like is your only thing to like feel okay to me was eating mm-hmm. like you don't smoke cigarettes when you're seven you right. don't take you don't start drinking when you're seven you don't know sleep around you don't know you don't sleep around when yeah. you're seven <laughs> you don't know that like taking a bike ride is gonna feel better right. to you than eating you know lucky charms right the podcast is not sponsored by literature. Um, but you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. then it's like, then emotionally as a child, I, I mean, I wasn't, I was the kid that could eat could whatever eat anything, and yeah. did eat whatever. And, but I definitely ate my feelings for sure. Like most kids do, I think. Um, yeah. And so when you have that going on in your body anyway, then talk about creating a cycle. Cause then it's like, well, if you get teased, then if, one thing that right. feels okay i don't know like, yeah and i don't know i'm putting words i know in here, i'm but. trying to think at what age i started realizing the relationship between food and uh weight gain and or or weight loss or you know i, I don't actually well, for remember sixth grade to go on going on a yeah diet in sixth grade that's or that's or, i mean that's young it is although I, think. I think that a pediatrician had recommended to my mom that they send me to fat camp when I was really little. And my dad did not want that because my dad didn't want to give me the message that there was anything wrong with me. Uh, I think a lot about this. I think a lot about like, if you have a kid who's overweight, what is the right way to go about it? Because you don't want to encourage the kid to be more overweight and then be more picked on. But I also think you want to be sensitive because you don't want to give the child a message that there's something wrong with them. And, and this is like a huge pro- American problem yes, right now. You yes. Know? And, and I think parents don't know what to do. I think you're, I think you're raising some brilliant stuff. I, and I is, think that, listen, because, I just need you to like be on every segment I do at half because I want to do a segment on this. It's like, well, I did, how do you yeah. sort of, I see. And here's a, the thing. A deal with an overweight child. Oh, here's is the thing great, is that I should the, be paying you. <laughs> um, only in carbs. But here's <laughs> the thing is that because there's all these studies now that are saying, and by the way, I don't normally reference studies as much as I am right now. I don't know what's going on. Um, saying it. that being overweight is so unhealthy. Now people have this righteous way to, um, to hate fat people, I think. Whereas before it was just an emotional discrimination. Now it's this, no, I'm not discriminating. I'm just, you know, it's just that this is, is what's healthier and um, I feel like that's like you're killing our country. Yes. Like if there's this blanket. Like we need. Kind yeah. Of. Like. Like we need to judge fat. Like we should be judging fat people and shaming them. Yeah, we shouldn't be judging because it's so other unhealthy races. for them. We shouldn't be judging uh, other, you know, gender identity uh, people who are who who are transitioning anything like that. Yeah. That's all off the table, which it should be. Right. But. Well, fat Here's, is regarded this as a is, choice. Fat is a choice. Fat I just, I just don't buy that the the hatred and the shaming stems from a desire to have the fat person be healthier. Because, like, do you you really care that much about the health of a stranger? If that's the case, then why are you not jumping down every smoker's throat? Um, I don't know. It, it's 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 really complicated, sensitive. and it's not black and white at all. But so anyway. Um, Yeah, I don't know that, like, I think my parents really hit the, there's nothing wrong with you drum, and I appreciate that, but when I got out into the real world, and I sort of, 
it was a rude awakening in that I felt like, like, how you look in this world does matter. It matters a lot. And the sooner I accepted that, the easier my life became. Um, you know, there's a lot of things where I have always just felt like, but what's on the inside should matter. But unfortunately what's on the outside also matters. And I do remember a a therapist actually saying to me something like, but when someone doesn't love themselves enough to want to be in shape or whatever, how can they, or something about like someone who, and it was me she was talking about, but she didn't put it in those terms. Like, someone who expects someone else to love them, but they won't even love themselves enough to do. And that's very, I mean, that's a compelling point. Right. How can you, that's really, that that I can argue with that. But that kind of nuance is something that my parents never, I think they were just like, I don't want to go on record as having told her there was anything wrong with her ever. So we'll just let her work that out when she gets of age. But in sixth grade, I did decide I'm tired of being fat. I don't want to be fat anymore. I want to go on a diet. And my dad's a doctor. So he kind of worked like mon like it was basically I was eating 600 calories a day it was like a, that's what oh, I had to do to lose weight and then in eighth grade anything. I had to go down to 400 calories a day oh so my god that's not right it was I know and it like it was crazy would you get like dizzy and lightheaded yeah, and stuff I would I mean I it was he oh my god kind just of trying kept, to navigate childhood and then having uh, it was in the summer. I, there's no way I okay. could have done it when I was yeah. in class at the same time. Um, but how could you not always be thinking about it when you were when it was so prohibitive? Because isn't that I what was. happens? That's what happens to you know yeah. when, we, when we all do that. You know, I shouldn't say we all, but I think a lot of us, you know, go through those periods where right. we're figuring our bodies out, or we're you know, I've been eating like crap, and now mm-hmm. I want to eat healthy again. And For, when you make that transition, it's, yeah, and then that when you're eating prohibitive to the point where like it's medically you have to have supervision because you're eating so little right it was uh, but all consuming it seems like it was it yes it was um and i think it might have created or or this is sort of chicken and egg but a sort of unhealthy dependence on my dad which to this day i still i mean it's not like i call him before i eat something but i still rely too much on his advice like if he were to, I was just thinking about this actually. Like, I feel like if he were to call me up and be like, you know what? Thought about it. Two plus two equals five. I it would, it would shake me a little bit. I'd be like, Oh my God, really? Yeah. And, and I'd have to catch myself and be like, no, think about what you know from your own life. Have you ever seen two plus two equal five? You know, like I still, there's still a bit of me that, that feels like he just know like that doesn't see that he's just a flawed person, even though I can be so angry about things that happened growing up. But so anyway, what I was going to say, going to say though, is that at that age, uh, and as I got older, what I found is that actually, if I wanted to lose a chunk of weight, it was easier if I could just completely throw myself into that and sort of gratifying as well to just make like, okay, this back when I was in school, like the summer, all I'm going to do is lose weight and I'm going to exercise. I'm going to watch what I eat and I'm going to do this. It was easier than like, I'm going to lead a balanced life, but I'm also going to eat healthy because the, because mm. that wasn't working for me. Yeah. So that, so that was happening back then. Um, socially I was 
really, I was fine up until seventh grade, which I think is a nor. I don't know if that's come up on this show. Like that's a an age that I always heard where girls are just pretty bitchy. Oh, I don't know. Grade, it hasn't it, come no, up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I remember my mom had heard that from someone that seventh grade is like when when the bitchiness starts to 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 show just hormonally, right? Yeah, it's just, yeah. I think interesting. So, so um, I I went to a private school from kindergarten through eighth. And I, it was kind of like there was like the popular group and then there were the, the less popular kids, but, um, like the popular group was co-ed and they were just sort of the faster kids, but the, but it was really like, like half and half. Um, and in, in the unpopular group, (laughs) I really had a pretty strong like firm social standing and I had friends and everything was good um and then in seventh grade and I don't know I try I go back oh please (laughs) sorry guys I try to think like what going on in my life could have 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 sort of precipitated this if it did or was it just random but this new girl came in to the school and it was a small school new girl came in and all of a sudden, no, maybe not all of a sudden, but like slowly, I just was completely on the outs. Like she took my place in our little unpopular group. Yeah. Um, I went to, you know, at, at lunch she to sit in my place. usual place. We had these, oh, we had those God, tables well. with the molded benches, like one table oh. with the four benches. And, you know, like two people sat here, two people sat here, two people sat. I almost said the names, or for some reason I don't want to. Two people sat here, and and I went, and all of a sudden there was someone in my seat. Oh god! And I started crying. I feel it. I feel and it. Like the big fun activity um, was. It sounds so silly now to say it, but like. Di- like they would like ditch Allison. So I would go to where oh, normally we'd Allison. gather during recess <laughs> oh, and they wouldn't be there cause they would have ditched me. And that was a fun thing to do. And someone, this actually strangely didn't hurt compared to the other stuff at all. But someone drew like a picture of a, a fat girl in a uniform and wrote Allison is fat on the bathroom wall. I never saw it though. I only heard about it, but like I said, weirdly that didn't, like, it's like, yeah, uh, duh, I know that. Like, that didn't hurt. That was always the kind of what I expected to be made fun of. But this other stuff was really, I mean, I just suddenly, suddenly had no friends. Yeah. And I was suddenly an outcast. And it really only went on for a couple months, but it was... That's got to be the longest too long. I mean, I've, I went through something like that too. And it awful. is literally the longest... Like, I started faking sick so that I didn't yeah. have to go to school. It, yeah. It was... I would come home and cry every day. I mean, it was... It was... Like, probably one of the... I think it was the... the I don't know. It was, it was devastating to me in terms of what it did to my confidence and stuff. I know that... I mean, for years afterwards, if I, when I felt okay, I would all of a sudden get this thought, wait, but do these people really like me or are they actually plotting behind my back? And I remember in college, this is kind of funny, but, uh, there was a, I had a dream that there was a quid quiz passed around, um, where people had to say whether they thought I was cool or not. So I think I, for a long time after that, I was afraid that all of a sudden I would lose all my friends again. I get it. 
Yeah. I totally get it. But I it. think a lot of people have gone through something like that. I think though. they do. I think, well, I think all the people that a lot of people I like have gone through something like that is <laughs> it turns out, um, some people have been on the other side, but that's, what's interesting too, is that, you know, we just talking about it and finding out that there are people who were on the other side of it, who were doing shitty things because their home life was crap mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody I've ever met that I like as a human being who was shitty for no reason back then. Oh, doesn't feel terrible. That about is a now. good question. You know what I mean? Oh, oh yeah. No, I was no. going to say, are there people that you know and like who were shitty back then though? Well, because I'll I say ran- this, let me use okay. Natasha Leggero as an example, because she is one of the few people who's been on the podcast. Who's mm-hmm. admitted that. Although I have had a couple of people, I think talk about like, yeah, I kind of, like I could have spoken out for someone, but instead I like was like the best friend of right. the bully or whatever. But, um, but Natasha is a, is an example of someone who on the podcast said I was a bitch when I was little because I was miserable. Mm-hmm. And that was just the way that I, I was pissed at everyone because of the experience that she was having at home. Right. And so I definitely feel like it is kind of like, it's like, and you also were going through turmoil at home as well. So, but, but sometimes people have really kind of quote unquote good experiences in school, but they have all this horrible stuff happening at home and vice versa. Like some people have good home lives, Mm -hmm. but for whatever reason they're picked on at school, sometimes it's both like it can be a combination of so many different things, but I, I do feel like, you know, somebody who has something shitty going on at home could go to school and just be like the golden child because they've got, they seem to have this whole because it can't get together. To yeah. yeah. And then somebody else could be like, go home to, you know, really sweet parents who are concerned about them because they're just being bullied mercilessly. It's so hard to know why people get singled out. And in your case, maybe you got some by your friends. Maybe you got singled out because you were more overweight than they were. Yeah, I, don't know. I don't know. Or maybe you would have been anyway. What if you just would have been anyway? Right. Well, I think that there must have been some kind of, I mean, they, they perceived a fear or a weakness in me. I mean, that, I think that that's who gets bullied or outcast our kids who are going to be affected by it. Um, so I don't, but I don't know that particular year if there was some reason more, you know, I think, I don't know if something was going on at home. I don't know what it was. Um, I'm, I also was just like a nice trusting kid. And I think I was kind of a stepping stone for this new girl who came in. Um, but, but here's the crazy thing. So I have been to one Al-Anon meeting. Um, and I feel like I should go back because just the whole, uh, you know, the whole people pleaser and yes. the whole, that's, what's interesting about Al-Anon is that you can grow up and I, and I don't go to meetings either, but I have a lot of friends in the program at one version of the program or another. And that's one of the things that comes up a lot for people is like, you can grow up not even with booze as part of the equation, but if there's yelling mm-hmm. or if there's fighting, or if there's a lot of stuff that's scary, that makes you want to be a people pleaser and right. makes you feel like to your point earlier about Twitter, and we all we all have this. That's one of the reasons that, you know, things like that work for a lot of people or people do like group therapy or they like therapy or they like organized religion or anything is that we're all these sensitive, you know, a lot of us mm. are sensitive, sensitive social animals, but that you we all have little pinches of this in, in ourselves, but sometimes it's more overwhelming. But that thing of like, 
I am in the public eye and I have lots of people saying nice things about me and I am going to obsess over this one person who's criticizing mm-hmm. this and I do the same thing. Please, I can get, you know, on, a, on the nervous site, I can get 12 comments that are adorable and one person will say, I don't know who this interviewer is, but she's doing all the talking and it's awful. Yes. And I, I will... I will my I feel my face flush. It gets prickly. My heart starts to race. Mm-hmm. I get sad. Yeah. All I can think is, what should I do to win as over yes. this person? I don't know at all. And also, yeah. are how right are they right to the point where I should stop doing the podcast? Yes. Like I go right to that. Oh, I go me right too. to that. Like, right. oh my God, well, someone figured out that I suck at this. Your own, the any doubts that you have about yourself, it's like that's that's it's those voices you're hearing of course it's like and by the way through us. maybe you did talk more than other interviewers have talked with mark maron hi have you listened to mark maron's podcast like <laughs> right. he's the you know what i'm saying so it's well, all... i wanted to write back and be like it was only my third episode i was still learning and i'm like what the like who, 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 ah. i've gotten better about like i got a really nice uh note from someone who i think still listens to the podcast and i hope that you know my response to you if you do listen to this was an okay one but i i definitely got a response from someone who was like Hey, I had a, I didn't like your podcast at first. Was one of those. I didn't like your podcast at first, Thanks. but I kind of came around to it because of this episode, and now I'm a regular listener. I just didn't like your style, or I didn't. I thought you talked too much, or whatever. And I'm getting better because I have such an amazing group of listeners who are so bright and sensitive and the and the and the little notes, even just a sentence in a tweet that they call out about the podcast is like the best feeling in mm-hmm. the world i think i have banked enough of that now <laughs> that i'm really better about taking a breath and just writing back i know i'm not for everybody mm-hmm. like i totally get it if you think that i talk too much and that i need to be i need to give more the guests more room to breathe i totally yeah. get it i probably won't be as successful as somebody who doesn't do that but like uh, i'm just I, I don't know i'm just glad i put these out because for a long time i was too afraid to even put them out you know yeah. what i mean i heard michael showalter say uh, on someone's podcast that um well, wet hot american summer it it isn't for these pe- the people who don't like it it's for the people who like it and Great you point. and i both have you know there are a lot of people who appreciate what we're doing and it means something to them and that's that's who it's for. It's not for the person who's going to say that it's not, you know, that, that they'd rather, like, if you'd rather listen to something else, well, okay, then. But listen to us, a couple of people pleasers, because, you know, oh, yeah. there is that, there, there is that. Oh, but of course that, I that prefer that everyone likes to be, Yeah, the instinct yeah. to be like, surely I can do this in a way that every living person on the right. planet approves. Right, right. Um, well, so anyway, at the, the one Al-Anon meeting that I went to that I, I should go back God, to. God, I totally derailed you. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. No, it's it. The, I I I I liked that uh, tangent um, because it is something I think about all the time. Like every time I check my at replies on Twitter, <laughs> you know. Um, so this woman came in kind of late, and I sort of saw her out of the corner of my eye, um, and and she was like glamorous looking, um, and that was all I thought of of that. And then at the and then I felt a tap on my shoulder. And I turn and it, it's her, the glamorous late girl. And she says, by any chance, did you go to, and she says the name of the private school I went to, which at an anonymous, it's like supposed to be anonymous, although I think the anonymity means that I, once you leave the room. Yes, yeah. but still, um, but it was like, it was very weird for me because I had spoken 
Because they're like, you know, and would the newcomer like to say yeah. anything? And I never want to, but somehow, because I'm a people pleaser, <laughs> I'm like, I'll do them the favor of telling them what's going on with me. You know, so then I just like, like every, like a lot of stuff came out and I was crying and I did feel a little uncomfortable about how much I had just blabbed um, in this meeting that uh, this new place that I'd never been. Anyway, though, um, so she had heard all that. And then as, you know, I said yes. And then like, before she said anything, all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, I think I know who this is. And like, as I was saying the name in my head, she said, I'm, yeah. It what was if you the just girl. said her first and last name right now? I'm totally kidding. <laughs> so tempted. It was the girl who was the new, the like the, <gasps> the, the lead tormentor. Wow. What an amazing place to run yes. into her. Whoa. And she said, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, and, and she was like, I always felt bad about everything that it, you know, how that had all gone down. And I said, what, like in seventh grade or something as if this is something as that like, hadn't mattered to what you. are you even talking about? I don't even know what you mean. There was so many years ago, which is so not, I mean, honestly, I don't, I'm bringing it up now. I don't really think about it a lot, but for a long time I did. Um, for a long time it was, you know, I did hold a grudge and it was upsetting to me and it had affected me. Um, and I, there was so many like feelings and thoughts and things going through me and she was sort of catching me up on what was going on in her life and what had happened in her life. Uh, you know, she had, had also lived in New York and then come back and like why she was, she was explaining why she was at al and blah, blah. And I just kept going back and forth between wanting to be open and friendly, but thinking don't try, you should not be trusting her. Like she was awful to you. Um, but then as a side note, now looking back on it, I think, but was she like the ringleader or was it someone else? I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure, but she was no peach. Let me put it that way. <laughs> um, so I don't know. And I couldn't figure out like what I couldn't figure out how guarded I needed to be. And it made me think for a while how much can people change? Because I am, I think, a good, decent person now. And I was a good... I mean, of course, there's things I've done that I feel bad about. Um, but in general, I I, I gen, probably too much think about other people's feelings. and But that's how I was then. I mean, more so then. Like, I, I was... A, I've always just been a pretty soft person. So can someone be a just an asshole at 12 or 14, but be like a really good person now. That's what I wonder. And then I'm thinking, well, but she's, you know, she's in this program and where a lot of people do change. Yeah. I think you can. I mean, I think I, I definitely believe that you can. I definitely believe that you can change for the worse. I think that you can be, I mean, I think that's where that's, I've never thought about this really in this way before, but, but it's like, I do feel like there are people who can change for the worse. So if they can Mm -hmm. change for the worse, you have to believe people can change for the better. It's not fair, right? It's not fair to think that somebody could be a good person and then via a series of events or a series of choices kind of become someone that you don't like anymore, that you don't respect or that you're disappointed by. Right. Likewise, you should be able to trust that it's possible for somebody that you didn't like or trust to metamorphosize that may not be a word, uh, back, you know, over to a side. So I do think that like, I really believe in the idea of people 
in a program like that or in any part of their lives, even if it just means that they don't, they're not getting help along the way, but on a personal level, they're, they're seekers. And I, I think I use this word also with Stephanie, um, uh, cause I guess I'm going through this pocket right now, but, um, where you, where you just feel like people are committed to wanting to be better. And, and, and I don't know, and that it's not just paying lip service. I feel like I know, I've known people in my life that I thought were really good, decent people, but they acted like in this, and, and it, this very recently, even I thought this about someone like that they think they're done. Yes. That's such a danger. And that's really dangerous. And so I'd rather, I'd rather see someone that I don't necessarily trust, honestly, in the context of them trying to be better Mm -hmm. and really meaning it, um, and being on that path or seek seeking and searching in that way. than somebody who's just like a pretty decent person who, but they're like so sure that they don't have any more growing to do that they're closed off in that way. That's more scary to me because then it's like, Oh, you're telling a lie to yourself mm-hmm. as w- as well as everyone else. Like, and right. I, you can't even feel angry at them because you're like, oh, you, oh, you're telling yourself that louder than you're telling it to anyone else. Yeah, opposed they're, they're to like you know who off. you are and you're just telling someone else a lie about you. You know, right? So I do think, but I've never thought about it in terms of like, well, I guess if I believe people can change for the worse, I have to believe that people can change for the better too. Yeah. Um, and I also feel like. There are people in my life that I know other people had bad experiences with when they, when they were younger that I, I can say now having an inside perspective on what that person was going through, I guess I can understand. Like, I'm going to defend them and say, I love this person. You have no idea what they were going through. But at the same time, the same part of me that's empathetic to that person is empathetic to the other person who's like, but yeah, I could totally understand why you think he was a total asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you don't want to see you know you don't want you don't want to see anybody be hurt like it's so hard to see anybody right right um but just a just a a, not a coda sort of a a little uh, a doodle along the side of this conversation is the fact that if you are someone who thinks of yourself as a good person and doesn't want to see anyone get hurt that can actually lead you to i think inadvertently not being the best person because you avoid totally you avoid saying things or dealing with things like i think that for the longest time niceness was something that i valued so much like someone who would never say anything that would hurt my feelings was like a quality I I valued in someone else because I was so sensitive. And as I've gotten older, I realize, no, now actually I really value people who will just tell you the truth. Like the girl on Twitter who thought you talked too much about her. Yes. (laughs) It's a slippery slope. I agree with you. People, you have to have people. Not, but see, something like that is so subjective. People who are going to help you be better. And that's the same thing. Like, it's exactly what we were just saying. You don't want to feel like, I don't want to feel like I'm done. And if part of not being done means that I have to be better about expressing my feelings so that I'm not just bottling something up. And by the way, I'm sure there are people who have met me out there who think I'm an asshole i'm sure someone's caught me at a time you know nobody is like perfect all the time right um it does it pain me to think that that person thinks that <laughs> like they don't know me and that's horrible sure i've but had would people you, accuse me you... of being phony i've had i had someone hate me at my job at pottery barn because she was so sure that nobody could be as like 
bubbly as I was, that she was like, she had me all figured out. She thought I was like a, you know, conniving, pernicious, like horrible person who was just putting on this game face to everybody. And she fucking loathed me. And that I could, I, that would bother me. I mean, that made me, that was like the the same feeling as being bullied. It was the feeling of like, I would wake up in the morning, like, I can't believe I have to go to this job where this girl has shit talked me. Um, and how can she not understand that? Like, I mean what I like, when I'm nice, I'm nice. I mean it. Having said that, you know, my, like, people I've worked with or, like, my one of my Sketchfest partners, like, will tell you, like, she can be, I can be horrible. If I'm pushed up against a corner or if I'm really stressed out or if I'm angry about something, of course I'm not, like, rainbows and sunshine all the time. No one is. But are you, it's are about you, understanding how to be that in a pr- productive way, too. Are you... Uh, do you get short with people or are you aggressive or like, I think what, I get, how I think does it I, come I out? I think I kind of, um, well, I think I can definitely be short and defensive, but I think also I can just like shut down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I, like I just, I don't want to have a fight, but I also, I like, I can't decide if I'm ready yes. to say what I'm thinking. Cause I'm, uh, I'm wondering if maybe me. the feeling will pass and then I can avoid the conflict. So there's like that quiet period. It's not a silent treatment. My mom, was very good at the silent treatment i know that that's a that's an an, an on the offense feeling right. that they someone else wants you to get from them as they're treating you with giving you the silent treatment they're exactly yeah it's not that but it's definitely like a withdrawn like i i don't want people i don't mean to leave people to wonder what's wrong i think i do that in relationships like i really don't i re- and i've had to like volunteer that like here's the thing something might upset me I want to have a chance to think about whether I'm really upset about it. It's not about me punishing you. It's not about me saying, you know, if I just clam up, they'll draw it out of me. It's not a game. It is not a game. It's a, it's a, it's a period of trying to like process the feeling, but sometimes you're face to face with someone while you're having that experience. And it turns into this moment of like, She's not really saying anything. I don't know if I need to fill that space with something. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And I think not to overgeneralize, but I think heterosexual male female relationships are a lot like that where a woman is really immersed in her thoughts and feelings and a guy wants to fix things. And again, I'm being so over, you know, I'm being very general here, but I do feel like, um, that can happen. And so that, that conflict that arises just from like, I don't know what, like, what am I supposed to do here? Like Mm -hmm. the guy wants to know and you don't have an answer except please just know that it doesn't mean that it's going to result in an argument. And very often it doesn't, it's just like trying to take the time of, okay, I'm having a feeling now I want to understand what the feeling is before I share the feeling because there's a lot of different factors at play here. The first a few times that happened in, in my current relationship, I was like, this is why I can't be in a relationship because I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do because you're sitting across from me and I'm I'm upset at something, but I think it's stupid what I'm upset about, but I'm not sure. And, and like the the way, like sort of the, the, uh, the description that we use now is, or that I, I do, but I think he's adopted it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like a dial up modem. Like what this, what you think is me being upset with you or withdrawn. It's like, if it could make a sound to be like that, you know, that whole time. Yes. Like I'm just, I'm slow to process everything. I love that. That's a great way of putting it. And, and so that was all good and fine until he had to dial up one day over something. (laughs) And I was like, 
wow, now that I'm on the other side of it, I'm realizing, because it was something, you know, he, it was this thing I was talking about where he had a look on his face and I was like, what's that, you know, um, he had a reaction to something I had said, but he didn't think necessarily that it was, that he was, it was, you know, fair for him to be upset about it. And he didn't want to make, didn't want to be unfair. He wanted to figure it out first, but being on the other side of it, while this was going on, I was realizing from where I'm sitting though, I don't like, if you're upset about something, regardless of whether it's rational or not, it almost seems like it'd be better to just talk about it. Except yeah. that when it's when I'm the one who's perhaps irrationally upset, then I I don't want to just talk about it. I want to figure it out first. So I, I know. know. Well, I think there is it's that emotional impatience that you know even if we're processing something internally, time passes differently when yes. you're kind of having the emotion and you're processing it versus when someone isn't sure how they feel enough about it to say it. Because I think that that little wounded kid in us is waiting for the worst possible scenario. Yes. So then you're projecting ahead to like, you're right. I would rather know, like in every way, I would rather know if everything's okay right mm-hmm. away. And I would also rather know if everything isn't okay right away, because I'm just trying to protect myself for whatever the reality is going to yeah. be. Cause so you're five minutes pattern. of them processing suddenly feels like those two months where those girls were <laughs> shitty to you. Yes. You know, and it's so, it's so hard, but that's another thing that, you know, you can get out of, talking to other people or friends or mentors or, you know, going to groups or going, you know, whatever, wherever you get it, if you need that sort of external, um, validation validation or that part, that part of you that kind of helps you have the tools to process the stuff is why people enjoy this kind of like the kind of the, the I'm okay thing. I'm okay. You're okay. The yeah. sort of like, I have to be right. Okay. Like even if it's the worst case not scenario. Knowing. Yeah. Even if it's the worst case scenario, I will be okay. Yeah. This person doesn't actually have power of life and death over me. And I think that's because it's such a young, it's such a young feeling. It's coming from the place inside where you really were dependent on other people. So it is in the, in the, in the worst case scenario feeling, I don't know. There are just some people who are better. I guess they, for whatever reason, for whatever they went through, or maybe it is hardwired and it's a million different things and it's nature and nurture and all that kind of stuff. People that are just better at processing negative feelings in every way. Yes. And I don't think I'm that great at it. It is something I have to work at. I may be a better natural singer than someone <laughs> who doesn't have to work at, who has to work at that. Mm. Like somebody who wants to be able to sing. That's not something I had to think that I'd spend too much time doing to be good at. I have to spend time and effort and practice at being okay with feeling something that's a bad feeling because it's a really, really scary place for me to be. I have a really hard time with it. And I, and you know, I think a lot of people in that are creative and that are in this industry and, and you know, or who opt out of the industry for similar reasons, we have a hard time sitting with discomfort, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's what happens to people who medicate themselves with different stuff. I totally, please, I couldn't understand it more because it feels really scary to just sit inside of like, wow, this sucks. Mm -hmm. I'm sad. There's gotta be a way for me to feel less sad faster. Right. Let me have a cigarette. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and so it's, I, I just, it's hard, but some people I think are better about kind of 
for whatever reason, they're just able to sort of like have that feeling and process it and move through it faster without having to work so hard at it. And they're able to negotiate and navigate hostility more. Um, Like I am very slow to respond if someone has said or done something shitty to me. I think because it's so hard for me to admit that that just happened. Like in that way, it's not, and, and, and I have to say, you know, it's not a hundred percent of the time and I'm not, I'm not as inept as <laughs> I'm going to describe myself, but, but a, a good chunk of me is naive in that way. And so if something, you know, something shitty happens, I'm kind of like, t- like inside, I'm like, wait, did that just happen? Or or are my because the first thing that'll happen is my feelings will be hurt. You know, I'll be stung, and then I'll. I'm always trying to find a way initially to tell myself that I overreacted to it. Like that didn't really just. It's so much easier to think that I overreacted than than that just really happened or whatever it was. You know. I think what you're describing. Side note is takes me back to the Elizabeth Lame episode, which got a lot of comments because um, she talks. We both talk about this sort of like. Um, feeling violated sexually mm-hmm. and uh and i think that you're just describing something that happens on a grand scale and on a tiny scale and i don't know if it's i think it's a, a human thing it's not a man woman thing but this feeling of like when something shitty happens you, the, 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 your first thought is like maybe i'm not i shouldn't have a reaction immediately right. because maybe i just misread that this person touched my boob when they had absolutely no right to and instead of being righteously indignant right away yes you're like did I ask for that? Did I, what did I do? What did I do that created a situation that's now making me uncomfortable instead of like, guess what? They did it. Right. Anyway, please continue. What? Well, no, no. I mean, that's, that's kind of it. Like I, I, why is it so much easier to keep it internal though? Because there are, there are those people, it's almost like a character type, um, who would like instantly yell, like get your fucking hands off me. I'm so not that kind of person. I think I'm getting to be more like that. But that's another thing that happens too, is that sometimes it comes out when it shouldn't and not when it should. Yes. But I feel like I'm getting better about like someone did something that just wasn't okay the other day. And I think I like, I, I instead of taking that time that I would normally take, I think I, I kind of was like, wow, that's a, wow, that totally wasn't cool. Good. And it was like, who's that person? <laughs> how, how did it go from there? Um, the second I said anything, I felt super uncomfortable, but then it was kind of okay. in like a few minutes, it was just like a work situation where, yeah. you know, somebody, and you know what, that person was in a bad mood and they were like, I was in a bad mood mm-hmm. and it was totally fine. Um, and it did feel empowering to just go, wow, instead of like walking out of that and stewing over it for two hours, wondering if I did something wrong or whatever, just kind of putting it out there right away. But it was pretty minor. Like, I don't know if that would apply if it was something really major, mm-hmm. but still any, any, any progress is Any good. Progress like I've had good. things where like I had something where someone raised their voice at me. Um, they were in a bad mood. There's a lot going on, but they raised their voice at me and spoke to me in a way that I didn't feel like was okay. And it really took me like a while to kind of like, did that just happen? Like that did just happen. But I spent probably like the next, <laughs> this makes me sound like such a ineffectual person, but I spent like the next, almost probably four days thinking about it and try and, and feeling upset and trying to figure out like the best way of dealing with this and wanting to say something. 
And finally, I just decided, and this is probably maybe not the right thing to decide, but I decided next time it happens, I'm going to deal with it in the moment because at this point, it just feels too ridiculous to bring it up this much after the fact. And I'm so uncomfortable doing it anyway. You know, I was like, I would like to send an email, but obviously, like, I'm not going to deal with it on email. But, but, and but, but I mean, I, I don't feel good about myself that it's that hard for me to address something. I get it. But I feel like, I don't know. I mean, you, you came to a conclusion that was, you know, listen, I, I, this was something that I had to go through internally. It's not, is it really, is it going to make me feel better to move through this by bringing the other person back into it? No, it's been too long. I'm going to deal with it next time in the moment. It sounds like, it sounds like if you just had done all of that instead of ending with it doesn't make me feel better as a person if you've just done all of that and been forgiving of yourself about it and just been like self like compassionate um then then like your work is done like that's that was a great way to process that experience well, thank you. but you can't but but the other deal you have to make with yourself is i went through the trouble of processing all of that coming to a conclusion and coming up with a positive future goal for how mm-hmm. to handle it next time it can't also be that you get to feel shitty about yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, that's the problem is, is that you, you, I, you do all the work and then you still, I'm not saying you, I mean, in general, we do all the work and then we still beat ourselves up. Mm-hmm. Like there's no room for that. It has to be that there's no room for that. I think. Do you have compassion for the younger version of yourself? Uh, I do. And that is another thing that I have to like, uh, that, that I, that I think helps a lot. It does help a lot because when you think about it, and that's why the whole inner child thing, and we are so wildly over my normal hour, but um, it's been so worth it. But uh, but as I look for a wrap point, um, <laughs> not that I want one, but um, but that inner child thing that I laughed about so much, like you know, as a teenager and as a person in my twenties, like it was, seems I whenever you know people were talking about it more then was a perfect time for me to be like, what a crock of shit. Yes, I felt the same way. Right? <laughs> but now I'm like, well, if you even if you just think of it, not even as your own self, but like if I think about, and that's one of the reasons I do this podcast. If I think about a 13 year old girl experiencing what I experienced and then also piling my heaps of shit on myself that I put myself through on top of that. I am like, I wouldn't never want anybody to experience that. Like, okay, well that's you, that person that you're imagining in the Mm -hmm. abstract, who's out there somewhere. That's also you. And why are the rules different? That's so true. They shouldn't be. Yeah. You guys should all treat yourself like a 13 year old girl. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, Allison, this has been such a joy. I I think we might have to do a part two and we can just do a silly part two where we just like bullshit about (laughs) the stuff that we, you know, loved and entertained ourselves with when we were teenagers too. But this has been a beautiful conversation. Um, I really do feel like I should pay you money for it because I feel (laughs) like I just had therapy. Um, Thank you so much for gosh. Thank you for having me. This was, this was fun. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, Guys, as always, please feel free to weigh in with your questions and comments. Uh, I think I've been pretty good about getting questions and comments to people. And uh, some of you know that you've gotten some responses directly from those folks. So um, I will extend that offer. And uh, and, uh, no need to say anything shitty about Allison because uh, (laughs) we don't need that right now. Um, And I know you won't anyway because you guys are the best. So we will uh, see you next time on the podcast. Bye.
As always, the JV Club theme song is Before We Were Brittle, courtesy of the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.